I think a lot of people associate voice of customer with surveys. We're all familiar with that and we all get a lot of them, <laughs> but it's multidimensional. It's about listening to the customer, what's working for them and what isn't. Uh, and win loss, you could expand that horizon a little bit to not only customer, but potential customer, right? Prospects. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast by Double Check Research for product marketing and competitive intelligence professionals who are looking to get a leg up on the competition with win loss and churn analysis. My name is Jeffrey Palmer, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we are entering some new territory, and I think you are going to find this incredibly useful. What do win-loss programs contribute to our understanding of the voice of the customer, and how can customer success teams get ahead of their churn risks? There's nobody who knows this better and how to use research to get there than our guest today, which is Derek O'Grady, Vice President of Customer Success at Forrester. Welcome, Derek. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk a little bit about your experience building and executing a win-loss program. And I think maybe a great place to get started, when you think about yourself in a win-loss program, you're leading that program, are there particular areas that you consider to be your core responsibilities as a win-loss leader? Yeah. So let me take a step back. So I'm the customer experience leader at Forrester. And uh, that's an interesting proposition because as you know, Forrester is a, is a research company and we've got uh, customer experience on our list of things that we're experts at. So uh, being the CX leader at Forrester is kind of like being asked to cook pasta in the North End. You have a lot of people who know how to do that. So it can be a, a little intimidating, but uh, it's actually pretty invigorating as well because I've got access to all that expertise and, and the analysts and the research. But the reason I bring that up is that I consider win-loss a part of a customer experience program. So uh, it's one of the elements of our voice of customer program. And as such, it falls under the umbrella of customer experience. I think a lot of people associate voice of customer with surveys. We're all familiar with that and we all get a lot of them, <laughs> but it's multidimensional. It's about listening to the customer, what's working for them and what isn't. Uh, and win-loss, you could expand that horizon a little bit to not only customer, but potential customer, right? Prospects. So I think it's a, it's a super important vehicle to collect voice of customer. And as such, we're really investing uh, the time to do it right. Sounds like it. And, and how does the rest of the organization sort of understand the, the value of your role? Are there specific things that they expect from you? Being from Forrester, I think a, a lot of people are familiar with CX as a discipline and win-loss in particular as, a, as an element of that. I think there is a broad understanding of that. And essentially what it is, is uh, everybody understands that if we're able to bring insight back to the business, each business unit is going to be able to operate with a little bit more sharpness. So, you know, it's not just sales. If we can bring back win-loss insight, that's going to help them with retention. It's going to help them with new business. But we also bring that insight back to other functions within Forrester. So our product team is listening, for instance, because some of the feedback we get, positive or negative, um, win or loss, is going to benefit the prioritization that they have to go through. They have to make a lot of decisions around what features we want to build into the product. So in order to do that, they need to know what's working well and what isn't. We get some of that through win-loss. Myself as a CX leader, part of my responsibility is to make sure the experiences we're providing 
uh, our customers are world-class and we get some of that insight through win-loss as well. Tell me a little bit about where in the business was feeling some of those pains, maybe feeling difficulty. When you think about the organization as a whole, deciding to bring in win-loss, what was the sort of genesis of that in the business for customer success in particular? It's fairly intuitive that in order for us to be profitable as a business, it's about sales, but it's about retention as well. So uh, sometimes when I talk about win-loss, I actually add a third dimension. It's win-loss and, and churn analysis. Sometimes I think win-loss just implies new business, but you know we're looking at retention for our existing business as well. Super important for any business, but it, it, at this point in time for Forrester, we've launched a, a new product recently, and it's very innovative. And uh, it combines elements from our existing product. Uh, we went through an acquisition recently where we brought on uh, serious decisions. And really, we're taking the best of both companies and merging them into that product. So it's really exciting. But in order for that to be successful, we need to know if it's resonating. And you can do a lot of research up front, and a lot was done. Well, then once you're in market, you want to really hear how things are going as well. So uh, there's an intense interest in doing win-loss for that reason. But just in general, I think it's always healthy to understand what's resonating and what isn't. I'm sure our listeners will be really interested to hear where an organization like Forrester, obviously one of the best organizations out there with a lot of expertise, as we talked about, in customer experience. Before you decided to go down the road of, let's collect this qualitative feedback, let's do those face-to-face interviews, were there other ways that you try to collect were the typical ways that you would go and collect that voice of the customer information? It's definitely multidimensional. Most organizations, and we're no different, we would start by looking at data we're collecting on our own through our CRM system. So when there's a sales opportunity, some record of how it went. So was it a win or a loss? And um, why? Uh, for both reasons. So we like to look at that data. We're no different, right? We, we do a good job at, at collecting the data, but it's not perfect. It's also um, a little bit biased because it's self-reported. So if you think of that as the first dimension, your self-reported data through your CRM, that's great. You can get some initial insight through that. As a voice of customer team, we also have the ability to survey customers ourselves. So occasionally we'll identify a topic and we'll um, identify uh, a group of clients that we would like to solicit more insight from, and we'll contact them with a very brief survey. So then we're going from self-reported to, okay, actually hearing from the customer, but at a high level. You're not going to send them a survey with 100 questions. It needs to be quick. So the third dimension then is working with a company like DoubleCheck to do more extensive interviews. And um, you know a third party doesn't have a dog in the fight, as they say. So they can approach it from without any preconceptions and also approach it as professional win-loss practitioners where you know there's a proven process in place for establishing some hypotheses going into the interviews, having an interview guide, and then a professional interviewer will um, conduct the interview and can be agile in how that interview goes. And then there's rigor around producing the analysis as well. So I view those self-reported surveys, which uh, we would launch that are high level and then in-depth studies as a really effective way to make sure we're always on and listening for that type of insight. Are there particular areas with the second thing you mentioned, that survey approach that you think of as maybe gaps that it has? Are there areas that you know you're not going to be able to get to when you take a survey approach as opposed to 
sort of that more rigorous in-depth approach? I think just the, the level of depth we're able to get into, and it's it's coming back in text. So I think there are some limitations to that too, because with a with a survey, you can ask a combination of open-ended questions and questions where you're asking people to rank something on a scale, but a conversation is much more contextual. So I, I would say that's the primary difference. If we have some quick hit items and we, we want to validate certain ideas, or, or we just want to get some initial high-level information back quickly in a very unevasive way, right? People get a survey request. You can decide on the spot whether or not you want to do it. And a lot of people don't have time for it, frankly, and that's, that's perfectly okay. But the ones that do, you want to make it a, a quick hit for them so that they can get on with their day. And we want to reserve the interviews for bigger strategic items that we're really curious about. And it might be a topic that's causing us some pain or a topic where we really see some opportunity and we want in-depth information. I think that's why we'd go with the interview as opposed to the survey. Fascinating. The ability to really focus in on particular areas and, and dive deep into them with key accounts with specific people and get a really deep conversation going on. Switching gears just a little bit here, when you decided that you were going to do a churn program using an interview-based approach, this in-depth-based approach, what was the first thing that you did when you wanted to get that program off the ground? The first thing we were doing before we launched the program itself is you want to make sure you have your executive team buy-in. And the way Forrester operates, which we advocate in our research, is there's really tight alignment with what we call the revenue engine. And the revenue engine is the combination of our product organization, which for Forrester encompasses our research organization as well. So it's product, it's sales, and it's marketing. Now, as the CX leader, I roll up into the marketing group. So I'm part of that revenue engine. But it's really important to get buy-in uh, and make sure there's alignment for initiatives with that trifecta, I guess we'd call it, right? We definitely did that. And there was great interest in us starting this up. So we started with, uh, with the revenue engine and we kept them really engaged. And by them, I mean the leadership uh, for those three areas. So this was something new. There's a little bit of proof it's going to work. So we wanted to make sure that we were keeping them aligned along the way. What you don't want to do is get the buy-in to do something and then show up six months later with, here it is. <laughs> so we involved them in, in the process. And that's beneficial for, for two things, really keeping them engaged and informed. But also they can inform the, the actual study itself and, and did. Before we start interviewing customers, we want to solicit hypotheses and people have opinions and experience that they can bring to the table. So we literally would ask our product leaders, our sales leaders, our marketing leaders, why do you think we're seeing churn in this area? And they had given that thought already and they had some hypotheses. We use those to inform the interviews. Then when we were doing the readouts, we included them in the readouts as well. And one of the tactics we took was Let's acknowledge what those hypotheses were. Let's address them. Did we hear this in the interviews or not? And invariably, what came back and what did come back was some of those hypotheses were validated very strongly. Some were validated, but not super strong. You know, Maybe we heard it from this customer or that customer. And then there were some new things that weren't part of the hypotheses. And I think the combination of those, it validates the accuracy of the survey. It helps either validate or debunk any preconceptions, and then it adds some new insight into the mix. Interesting. So you were soliciting those hypotheses from 
your stakeholders, I think you described them as the leadership team for that revenue engine. Was it a small group of folks from whom you collect these hypotheses or was it a, a bigger team? It was fairly large, actually, and, and it wasn't limited just to the, the leadership team, quotation fingers, right? So we did involve the, the heads of those organizations, but we really want frontline feedback, too. So from within those organizations, there are people that we selected that we know are very customer facing. They're experts in these areas and they're really engaged. I want to say for the first study we did, we had about, I believe, between 15 and 20 stakeholders that we send them a survey internally to collect the hypotheses. They return the insight and then uh, with double checks help, we went through and really translated that into a, a series of questions that were asked during the interviews. I'm sure our listeners would love to know tactically how you did some of those things, particularly paring down. I imagine if you're going to ask 15 to 20 people for their thoughts about why you might be churning or winning and losing, if it's a, a a traditional sort of win-loss program, you might ask those questions. They might all provide you know, three different answers, three different reasons why they think it might be two or three or four. And now you've got 50 different questions that you're trying to answer. Of course, there'll be a lot of overlap between some of those. Is it easy to pare down to a key set of hypotheses? And sort of how many hypotheses did you go into a program with? There was a very large number of hypotheses that were, that were expressed. Um, some overlap as well. So the ones that overlap, I think those are fairly obvious because they show up from different sources. So you kind of put those to the side and you say, okay, we're starting with this group. We know that's these are likely suspects <laughs> for why people are um, staying or, or leaving. But then for the other ones, I think we look for some commonality. So group them into certain themes uh, that might be related. W what I noticed is you can go into an interview with a very well-prepared interview guide but the conversation is going to meander and uh, there's going to be certain hotspots that the, the client will be very passionate about and other things that you maybe thought they would be very passionate about that they're not. So the interviewer has to be very agile. So you, you might um, have a list of 10 or, 10 or 12 different hypotheses you want to test. And um, some of those things will just come out organically throughout the interview and you can kind of check them off, all right? They already commented on this, they already commented on that. And then I think the interviewer, if they're skilled, they will, will know where the gaps are and where, where else they need to ask questions like that. So I would say in any given interview, you don't test every single hypothesis. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, so you've got your core list of hypotheses that you want to test. How do you go about sharing that back with the organization, keeping them sort of invested, engaged, briefing in general the organization about the program, even before you launched? Did, did you go out and sort of have a big company meeting and say it was coming? Did you brief people individually? I think there is an art in, in communicating when it comes to initiatives, whether it's win-loss or something else, right? I think you need to find that balance because people don't want an email every day with an update, <laughs> yeah. but they do want to be informed. I think using a diversity of mechanisms to do that is the way to do it. And um, we have the opportunity to make comments at all hands meetings, right? So it could be a, this is the, the all hands meeting for marketing or for sales or for product. And I usually have an opportunity as the CX leader to give an update on calls like that. You know, I, we have a number of things in motion, but we would talk to the, the group at large about this. Hey, this is coming up. We're excited about this. We're going to be partnering closely with your team to get some insight. And we're excited to bring the insight back to you so you can use it as well. So 
You can do it at the high level to inform everybody. That's usually a quick hit type of conversation. Um, we use Chatter at Forrester, which is a way we communicate internally. So we can leverage that as a vehicle. But also we select sort of a core group to participate uh, in the exercise. And we usually do that by asking the, the leaders who they'd like to participate. Sometimes I'd arrive with an idea. I'd like to bring this person in. Is that okay? Thumbs up. But we operate within a core group to get into the, into the detail. Yeah, I imagine that there's, it must be tough to strike that balance. I'm sure organizations struggle with that, as you say, not just in these types of programs, but any sort of initiative, keeping them engaged, but without overloading them. So you've built the foundation for your program out. You've got everybody up to speed on what you're planning to do with the program, what you're looking to learn about. You mentioned earlier that there are particular types of organizations that you think of as being good targets, that you don't necessarily use these types of interviews with everybody out there. What for you at Forrester delineates what makes a good target? I would say it's um it's more based on the person as opposed to the organization. So that would factor into it, right? We have different businesses and different different areas that we would service, right? So it could be uh, customer experience or product or sales. We tend to work with groups like that, marketing as well. But it, there's different personality types that I think are eager to participate in interviews. So we, we know some of those people as the CX team, because we interact with a lot of customers. But we also would go to our account teams, our sales and customer success teams. And we just ask them directly. We'll start with a list. Hey, here's a a win-loss specifically, right? Here's a list of opportunities where we either won or lost. So we'd start with that, but then we'd ask our account teams to weigh in on, are there certain customers you think that would provide us the type of insight we're looking for, be willing to talk to us? And maybe they've expressed some thoughts, either glowingly positive or constructive, that uh, we should be aware of and, and should talk to them. So we actually ask them to help us select the um, call them targets for the interviews. Now, I know there's a potential bias in that approach, <laughs> and we're very conscious of that, right? You don't want to stack the deck with only positive comments, right? You want to balance, you want reality. I think uh, we're wary of that, but people understand what we're trying to do and the spirit of it. And they are very fair and, and balanced in who they offer back to us as potential interviewees. Sure. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a little bit about how you go about getting people to say yes to these interviews. I think coming up with the list of people we're going to approach is the first step. And there is a combination of you know us just literally running a list through our CRM system and saying, these are the type of clients that... Um, fall into this recent win-loss um, conversations. So we start with that. We then go back to uh, the account teams and, and ask them to help us identify people who they think would be willing to participate. And they're very fair and balanced, right? They will volunteer people who they know move forward with us and are, are extremely happy and also people who, for whatever reason, you know, decided not to, but have an opinion about it and want to share. Being in this business it's very interesting because our customers are somewhat unique in that they're very invested in what we do. They want us to be better, right? Because I think they see the value in what we do. And, and in short, we try to help them succeed at their business by you know, sharing best practices and the research that we do. They're very good about patting us on the back when we're doing well. And they're very good and constructive about pointing out where we need to do better. So there always seems to be a pool of people that we can identify Tactically, what we do is once we have that list, we reach out to them. I usually send them an email as the CX leader, very brief, 
here's what we're doing. We're trying to get better at what we do. We would love to get your opinion on it. If you're interested, you know, here's how you can sign up for a time. And we have a, a third party double check working with us that will reach out to you and, and have a conversation. And I think it's important for them to know it's a third party working on behalf of Forrester so that I think they feel um, like they can just speak their mind. You know, if they have something critical to say, you know, they're not kind of telling the person that <laughs> was involved in the scenario, right? So they're speaking candidly. They're most vocal if there's something procedural that got in the way or something, a limitation to, you know, our product for their particular situation. It's very rarely about the people. I think customers like to speak to someone who's impartial when they're speaking about the topic. Speaking of the feedback that you get from those folks, how do you go about distributing that within the organization? What's the first thing that you do when you get a new report of a particular interview? We deliver a, a comprehensive readout that's focused on some of the key themes that came through. And one of the design points for a readout like that is we want to keep it simple. So if you come back with 99 things, <laughs> 100 findings, people are, you, you're going to lose your audience after the third one. But if you come back with three to five big themes, in Forrester, we use this uh, WIM analogy, W-I-M, what it means. So here's what we heard and here's what it means in the context of our business. That really resonates because you've, you've curated the information to be um, of all these, you know, 10 interviews in the studies and let's say they're, they're 30 minute interviews and uh, hours and hours worth of potential footage and transcripts we went through. What does it mean? Right. What are the what are the three big themes in the context of our business that we want to share? Doesn't always have to be three, but you get the point there, right? That's a good way for us to bring the insight back in a way that's very consumable and controllable, meaning, you know, we're not we're not going to spend eight meetings decoding the information. We've already done that before the readout. Sure. So you put that readout together. I love the way you described that. What does it mean? I think, of course, is critically important to not just have the data, but of course, understand and provide people a context and summary of how that's relevant to them in their lives. The reports that you get, are you the only person who reads them or do other people read them? Do they live in a central location that people perhaps access or do they just not get used very much? For each interview, it's pretty elaborate, right? There, we have access to the recording itself. There's a transcript we can go through, and then the double-check team actually curates the transcript into some themes. So um, that's super helpful. The core team I referenced before would be the ones looking at that. And even within the core team, not everybody is going to go in and read every piece. They just don't have the bandwidth to do that. But myself and the voice of customer leader, uh, we would go through and read each of those items. It's just not scalable to share that proactively with everybody else. Now, they're available if people want to want to learn more about what any one individual said. Um, what I've found in reality, though, they're really relying upon us to curate that information for them. So it's kind of a funneling process. We've got the, the transcript, the interview, and the main points coming from DoubleCheck. We then work together with DoubleCheck to take all of the interviews that were part of the study and come up with those higher themes uh, and the what, what it means. And we bring that back to the organization. We're still new at doing this. So the initial readouts we've done, we've, uh, we have taken some time at the beginning 
to really uh, establish credibility of the process. So the rigor that we're going through with um, coming up with hypotheses through internal stakeholders and creating an interview guide, and then we let them know the different artifacts that come back as a result of that. I think that buys us credibility so that when we do get to the what it means, we don't have people thinking, well, is this just one guy giving his opinion? <laughs> no, we've already established that this is a process. We're bringing you the greatest hits of the study here. And people have been very trusting because we've given them the evidence that it exists and they want to operate at that level. They don't have the bandwidth to go into the minutia. It's our job to deliver them the story. And then it's their job to react to the story and figure out how they're going to use that insight within each of their businesses. And you mentioned earlier, you often collect those hypotheses and you might have you know, 10 or, or 15 different hypotheses that you want to test. Do you go through them when you're doing your readouts? Do you go through them one by one and say, this is how we confirmed it. This is how we refuted it. This is what people said. Or do you sort of keep it even more focused than that? How, how do you go back and address some of those hypotheses? That's a great question. And something we've thought about very deliberately, because if you take the time or if people are taking the time to provide their hypotheses before the study, when you do the readout of the study, of course, it's in, it's in their mind, right? That's the contact they had and they, have, they know what those hypotheses are and were. So they want them acknowledged. Um, so we usually put a slide um, fairly early in the deck of the readout that says, going into the study, here are some of the hypotheses. Again, it buys credibility. You're saying, we listened to what you said. You took the time to fill out the survey. We heard you, all right? Now, we don't say, here's, there's, here's all 99 of them. <laughs> we say, you know, based on the 15 people we surveyed, you know, here are the top ones that came back. And then we revisit that when, we, when we're reporting on the results. We will say, you know what? This one was validated very strongly. So we're not, we're not really going to spend a lot of time in this interview or in this readout um, going into detail because you already know it was one of your hypotheses. And guess what? It was correct. Check. All right. So we spend most of the time going into what we learned that that wasn't expected going in. So yes, these things were validated. Um, are there any things that were disproved? Potentially, usually not, but potentially. But what what is the new insight that we gleaned through these interviews that we really want to put the spotlight on? Because that's what's going to change our way of thinking. We already knew about the hypotheses. We were already, in a sense, reacting to those before the survey or before the study. So let's focus on what what we learned here and then use that to influence our go forward. And speaking of going forward, I'd love to hear about some of those things that you may have done. You, we talked about the readout that you're doing, presenting this information back to the organization at large. Are there other places that the information from these interviews goes, gets used, other, either material that customers might see or enablement materials internally? Where else does that interview details end up? Yeah, so it, it goes back to that that revenue engine, right? So we start there, and at, at Forrester, it's uh, product and research are grouped together as one. So there's a lot of insight that is going to inform our product. So where we want to invest to enhance the product, you know, we listen there, right? So if we lost a deal because there was something lacking from our offering, that's something we listen to very seriously. It doesn't mean you know we're necessarily going to change the product. If, if it doesn't make sense for our business, but we're listening to the customer and if they're saying they need something, we're going to factor that into our prioritization discussions. 
Same thing is true for our research because we cover different areas with our research. And if there's an area that seems to be emerging that we're not you know, covering in, in depth, then that's something we would listen to and factor into our uh, coverage uh, strategy. Um, our digital experience, we hear a lot about that, right? So um, experiences in general, um, so I'll, I'll include digital experience or personal experience or uh, even our marketing. There's a, ver- a variety of touch points that any individual would have with Forrester. And uh, sometimes we hear things through these interviews that would impact how we're behaving there. So I probably should have started with this, but <laughs> it's just our, our sales conversations. One common thing we hear, which is actually encouraging, believe it or not, even if it's coming through a loss conversation, is they, they may highlight a particular need they have that they didn't feel was being met by Forrester. And in some cases, because of the breadth of what we offer, we actually did have that capability, but we didn't connect it elegantly with what the, what the client needed. That's encouraging because that's easily fixed, right? If there's a different way we need to listen um, and connect our capabilities with the customer needs, that to me is low-hanging fruit. And occasionally we'll hear things like that that will sharpen our approach. So, you know, we work very closely with our new business team, our, our win-back team, uh, and our customer success and, and sales members that are uh, involved in renewals. So I, I think there's multidimensional insight that enables all of those areas. If you were going to start over with your churn program, if you were going to scrap it and, and start again from scratch, is there anything that you would do differently than you perhaps did this last time? That's a really interesting question. And the answer I'm going to give you is, is specific to our situation. I hope it would be helpful for others listening. But you know, I, I mentioned in an earlier question that the there's three dimensions to our win-loss program, so including churn, right? It's the uh, self-reported data that comes through our CRM. There's very um, concise uh, surveys that we would send out from our team. And then there's a, an in-depth interview process that we work with DoubleCheck. Uh, in theory, I would, I would have done really knocked them down one, two, three. Get your internal data in order first, then work on some surveys that you're originating yourself. Then bring in the heavy hitter for the for the more strategic ones. So uh, you know, with a clean sheet of paper, I would have done that. But truth be told, there was more urgency to bring in uh, double check to work with us because we were very, very interested in the insight from the cohort that we examined in the study. So we went right to we went right to number three. <laughs> so that worked out for us. It's helpful to have one and two operational because it actually feeds number three. So the whole rigor that we go through to make sure that our double-check interviewer, so our, our business partner conducting the interviews, to make sure he's asking informed, intelligent questions, it's helpful to have insight from one and two to tee up to him. So I think having having those more mature would really enable, you know, they're all connected, right? And they all feed each other. It would enable a really powerful outcome from number three. We got that anyways. But I think we could have even fast-tracked that had we done one and two first. Well, that's all for us here today at Blind Spots. Thank you for being here. And thanks again to Derek 
for his time and sharing his wisdom, making us all a little bit smarter. If you liked this content and want more win-loss and churn best practices, why not subscribe to make sure that you catch the next episode. And it will certainly help us out if you can throw us a like. Join us next time as we continue to learn from the experiences of some of the best and brightest practitioners in product marketing and competitive intelligence. Thank you again for listening. I'm Jeffrey Palmer, and this was Blind Spots.